0: Thanks, Taylor. With the Lord's Supper tonight, um, we just wanted to point out, some people ask the question or just wonder why we don't do Lord's Supper in service, um, in here. And the reason we don't do that is because we, we actually, and that, that's a very good question I should say too, is that we, it is an important thing. Scripture you know, makes it clear we're to practice this a, as regularly as we can. We do have a lot of people that attend our church that are exploring what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. We realize there are a lot of people that are different stages and deciding to follow him. And so if we um, did Lord's Supper each, each week in here or just often in here, um, many people who should not be taking it would likely take Lord's Supper. So Lord's Supper is a time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for you. And it's something that a person who's decided to follow him as Lord, as boss, needs to remember that sacrifice but if you've not made that decision then uh, we wouldn't want you to feel like oh gosh i'm going to be the one person who's not doing this and then just out of pressure or feeling like you know you're you know yeah in any way pressured then you might take it Um, and you really shouldn't scripture's pretty clear about that and so we separate it have a separate service take the time to really focus on reflecting on our walk with the lord and just clearing up anything between us and him and us and each other so Today, in preparation for that, I'd encourage you to begin to scan and just sort through your relationships, sort through your mind as far as how am I doing in my walk with the Lord? Is there some things that are unconfessed in my life? Are there some things that He would want me to straighten out before I take the Lord's Supper? Or if there's some relationships that are damaged and I'm not really doing anything to repair them, um, then, again, begin taking those steps. So, let's, let's pray as we continue. Father, thank You for this time. I pray, God, and I ask you to protect it, Lord. I pray you'd protect our minds from wandering, Lord. I pray you'd protect um, our minds from thoughts that wouldn't please you or would take us off track. I pray against any lies from the enemy, any deception, Lord, confusion. I pray against all these things that would keep us from hearing from you. So, Lord, we just invite you to speak to us. We offer ourselves to you just as we sing. We open our, our, our hearts to you pray you'd challenge us to, stay, to take steps of obedience, God, out of love for you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been looking at what God has to say about the money that passes through our hands. And you might be wondering, why does God even care about that? Why does God even care about the money that passes through our hands? He surely doesn't need my money, does he? I mean, We often wonder, why, why is it such a big deal? Why has this come up so much in the Bible? It certainly does. It's because the money doesn't pass through our hands alone. It Beforehand, it passes through our hearts. Money that goes out, it first passes through our hearts. God's trying to accomplish something of eternal value and significance with the resources he's entrusted. And if we don't trust him with this temporary stuff that we call money, we won't be able to trust him with the, the bigger items, the big stuff. And so that's why we're looking at it. There are three ways that we've discussed that money can be used is you can give money, you can save money, and you can spend money. These are the only three, three things you can really do with the money that we have. Give it, save it, spend it. And there's an order of priority that we've looked at. There is the order of, God says, give first, second you want to save, and then out of what's left over, whatever that is that's left over, you want to live. That's your lifestyle. That's what you spend. We naturally want to flip that order around and spend first save a little bit, and if there's anything left, maybe consider giving. This is just a natural pull on our hearts towards putting ourselves first and our spending ahead of everything else. And that's what's actually reflected in the U.S. kind of in the data when they survey Americans. The average American saves 1%, gives 1%, and spends the rest. And if you do the math, you're thinking, well, then the average American spends 98%. Even I can do that kind of math, but it's like, the, the reality is the figures and the, the anal, analysis reflects that in 2009, the average American spent 116% of their income. How do they do that? Credit cards. And so that's what happens. Whenever we put spending at the top of the list, spending is never satisfied. And we've talked about that. That's why so far in this series, we've been trying to get focused on putting a leash on our spending. We've looked at contentment, dealing with debt. We've talked about the importance of, of savings even, and how when we save, it's a way to really challenge. And when we give, it's a way to challenge our lifestyle and our spending so that we, our spending doesn't run our lives. Because if we don't give enough and save enough, then, then our spending will dominate our lives. Our lifestyle is going to push around every other area of our life. Today what I want to do is kind of shift gears and focus on what would life be like on the other end of the financial experience? Let's say you have more than enough. Imagine. I have more than enough. I've got more. It's just coming out in my ears. And what, what would happen if I've been faithful to give, to save, and I've got my lifestyle and everything's covered and I still have just this surplus? I've got more than I really... Some of you are like, man, that would be so awesome right now. I wish that was me. Or... Maybe, you know, you, you put some things in order, in the right order, and you find, and then you work on contentment and then you find out you've got a lot left over. You've got, you come to the end of your month and you realize, wow, I've actually got a lot more to work with than I thought I had in previous months. I'm doing a better job of stewarding. Does God have anything to say about seasons or even just lifestyles of having an abundance? He really does. In fact, the Bible says more about the financial condition of having a surplus than he does about having very little. He talks more about how do you handle it in the abundance than the opposite. This in fact we're we're living in one of the wealthiest parts of the world. Some of you are actually in a boat where you consistently have more than enough. Others of, of us I would say, you know, or we kind of wish we're in that point. We wish we were there. But even if you're not, I think thinking about this now is very helpful, helpful because if God grants more in your life, right now you need to think, how can I prepare for those seasons of plenty? How can I prepare my mind and my, my heart for the seasons of times of overflow, times of abundance? The term for this is rich. And you might not think, well, I'm not rich, so I don't need to listen. The truth is, if you have more than enough, think of yourselves as, you know, I've got I'm, I'm maybe what the Bible would describe as rich. I've got more than I really need. I've got an abundance, more than enough. In the Bible, it seems like rich is a bad word. A lot of times we read into it, we read into stories in the Bible, and we think that being rich is bad, so I shouldn't be rich. But the truth is, being rich is simply a description of your situation. You just have extra money. You have extra money. It may not be laying around, but you have extra money in the bank. You have extra money coming in that you don't really need. And maybe today, it's the end of the month. I mean, I guess we have one more day. But maybe right now, you're doing really well. It's the end of the month and you're thinking, man, I've got this extra. What can I do? And the wheels are turning. What can I buy? What can I, what can I afford to get? Extra money brings some different things. It brings a few other extras. And so, there's two other extras that come into our life. When we have extra. One is we have extra advantages, and then we have some disadvantages. There's both. Extra advantages to having more than enough, and some disadvantages. So let's look at them. The first one, the first extra advantage of having more than enough is extra enjoyment. Anytime you have more, you have the opportunity and the possibility to enjoy some more things. And it's not bad. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.19. A king, he makes this statement, an observation. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions... And enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, and be happy in his work. This is a gift. It's a gift of God. You know, there's some people that when wealth comes in, they, they hit this point where they have extra. They have a hard time accepting their lot. They have a hard time accepting the position they're in. They have a hard time being okay with the fact that they have an abundance. Because there's a lot of people in this world that don't have very much. And so they're... They don't want to believe this is God enabling me to enjoy some things in life. And so they think I'm I'm supposed to be poor. And so this is a real struggle, just to even enjoy what you do with the extra that you have. But it's okay. It's okay to enjoy. How How does someone actually get rich? I think there's some different ways. One is they work really hard. Some people, yes, they just work extra hard. They work harder than others, and they do it over a long period of time, and that begins to create an abundance of resources. Other people, they get it through family. Some people are rich because they just had a family advantage. And that's okay. You know, they had some extra training from their parents. And they maybe had some extra resources to build upon when they started out. Just because of the family they were born in. And that might be the position you're in. Other people become rich because they're really smart. They just really understand how money works. They understand how it works, how to use it, how to grow it. Wealthy people, a lot of wealthy people, are really, really smart people. It doesn't mean if you're not wealthy that you're not smart. But that's something about, you know, for those who study that, they, they find that they're really smart people, actually know how to use money wisely. But the big reason, those, none of those things is the main reason that God has granted it. He, he grants, God actually grants seasons of abundance to allow us to enjoy some things, but the money itself is not the gift. That's not the big gift. The gift that God gives is the ability to actually enjoy it. The ability to enjoy the extra is something that comes from God. He enables us to accept this. the place that you're in, if you're in that position. Whether it's you're always in that position, or once in a while you hit seasons where you have an abundance. The ability to really get that and enjoy it, it's from God. It's not something that we built. Money itself can't fill our hearts with joy. Only God can fill our hearts with joy. With joy. He can provide some things that money just cannot do. And we know this is true because Hollywood is full of some miserable rich people, right? You look at Hollywood, some filthy rich people. Some of them are extremely miserable. You read about it on, in the tabloids, read about the internet. You, you know, you hear about it on the news. And you, and you think, I wouldn't want to trade my life for them. If that's what riches brings, I, I, I don't want to trade for that. Because some of their lives are just a complete mess. But the truth is, if you have extra, one of the possible reasons is because God may be setting you up, may be bringing the opportunity for some extra enjoyment, and that's really okay. It's okay to enjoy that. There's this misinterpretation of some passages in the Bible where we would think Christians or followers of Christ need to take a vow of poverty. If you're a Christian, you should suffer, you should struggle. If you're in ministry, you should suffer, you should struggle, and you should... You shouldn't be able to enjoy things. But I think that's, that really is a misinterpretation of some things. It's a misinterpretation of, there's a story in Matthew 19, where there's a rich man, he comes to Jesus, he wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, take everything you've got, sell it, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the story goes that the rich man, he just he couldn't do it. He turned away sad because he just had too much. He enjoyed his wealth too much. And I think the core issue Jesus was getting at was priority. He was challenging. What's the number one priority of your life? And I think that's what he gets at. What is number one in your heart? What is what is the number one priority for us? It doesn't mean if you're a rich man or a rich woman or you have an abundance that Jesus, you probably haven't heard that message. Go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. And become poor and follow me. That's That's kind of a misinterpretation of a passage that, it's not driving that point home. So we can we can run the wrong scenarios in our, in our mind about what do I do when I've got an abundance? I have to feel bad about my enjoyment. I have to feel bad about it. So don't misread even this message series. We've been looking at contentment and talking about how you should learn to live within a reasonable budget that you decide. Not that anybody else decides, but you decide. But don't misread and think I'm saying you should live off of so little and... Buying nice cars, nice homes, going on nice vacations means that you're just a wasteful, extravagant person. It certainly is not the idea I'm trying to pass along. But it's hard not to believe that. It's hard not to think that being rich or having an abundance is bad. Anytime I buy something or go somewhere extravagant, I feel this subtle voice or this need to explain how I got there. Yeah, someone paid for me to be able to go on that vacation. Yeah, I went there, but someone paid for it, or I'm staying in someone's property. Recently, we bought a TV, 40-inch flat screen Sony Bravia. You know, it's not massive, but it's a good-sized TV. I bought this thing. been holding off for, like, many years. I wanted one of these a long time ago. But finally bought a flat screen TV. Did I mount it in my living room? Nah. Why? Well, partly, I don't want to have to explain that to people. Oh, look at that TV. That must be nice, you know. And honestly, some of you have much larger TVs to dwarf my 40-inch flat screen. But, but I put it in the bedroom, mounted it on the wall, get to have family movie night in there. Why is it that, why do I feel the need to, you know, because I'm a pastor and, I sh, you know, pastors should not have enjoyment, right? And so why do I feel the need to explain those kinds of things? Well, it's because we all do things of enjoyment and we've all had hurtful comments from others when we're trying to enjoy our things. That's hard. Sometimes you do something, you're like, I really wanted to do this. And you do it, and then people make hurtful comments. We've all both been guilty of making hurtful comments, and we've been receivers of those hurtful comments when we decide to do something. And because of that, I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. I'll put it in my bedroom. <laughs> We don't have to explain it. But why is that? Why, why is it that we can't just be excited for each other? You know, when someone does something, why Why do we think, you know, that, that must be nice? Why is it our mind is drawn to those kinds of things? Extra enjoyment is not bad when you have extra. But the heart, and you know, God's trying to get at our heart. He wants us to make sure that when we're doing the extra, when we're enjoying the extra, that we don't take him out of the picture. And think, I got myself in this position. I bought that TV for my hard work. That we don't remove him from the equation and start putting ourselves at the top. And claiming the fun and the enjoyment because of the work we did, rather than just thanking him for the things he's entrusted to us, the abundance we have on occasion, or even the lifestyle of abundance you might have. Rejoice that God has given some things to you. But that's one area that, that... need to keep in mind, he might be providing because of some extra enjoyment. Secondly, extra generous. God wants you to be extra generous. When you have extra, he he expects us to be a little more generous than we are when we have very little. 1 Timothy 6, 18-19. Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich this. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. This is in a passage where he's teaching about Early on in the passage, in chapter 6, early on, he's warning about the desire to be rich. He gives a warning about how the desire to be rich can take a man and just ensnare him. It can trap him into some things. But then in this part of the passage, he's talking about for those who are rich, for those who find themselves in that condition, they need to be commanded to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of a life that is truly life. He's saying, with all this abundance, don't just build a life that's here and now. Don't pour all yourself and store everything into just securing this, this legacy or this, this mansion and all your resources just into serving yourself. He's saying, send it on ahead. He's saying, build a foundation that will last for eternity. Put your resources into things that are eternal. Not just temporal, but eternal. If you have extra money you're instructed to turn those dollars into eternal treasure how he says by being rich in good deeds though be rich be abundant in good deeds do you know serve people show love help those out share but typically when we have more the natural order of our priority is we spend more if we do well if we if we're faithful in giving and saving and we live contently and we have this abundance. Or let's say we get a raise at some point. We naturally think, I got a raise. I can spend more money. Or a bonus comes in. You know, score. I didn't even see this coming. I had no idea. I can get that new fill in the blank. Get the tax refund. Thank you, President Obama. Thank you for this. You know, it's funny how we think the presidents, you know, sometimes we don't like the president. You, I remember a few presidents ago, a couple presidents ago, Nobody liked them. But then when tax time comes every day, or everybody for a few weeks liked them because they were grateful for their checks they got in the mail. But we get these seasons of surplus and we're like, man, this is awesome. But when those things happen, God never flips around the order of priority. He never decides, to, okay, when abundance comes, now you can flip the order of giving, saving, spending. But we in our hearts, again, we flip to that. We think spending first. And again, so he's trying to push us towards becoming more generous. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is trying to challenge this church to grow in the area of giving and generosity. And he's encouraging them because they had been generous. And he's saying, continue to be generous. When he gets to this verse, he's talking about some other areas of the Christian life. And he says, just as you excel in everything. And now he begins to talk about areas that they were growing in and challenged to grow in. You excel in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, which means effort. And in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. This this is a really interesting passage. There's a list of things that we need to really grow in. Things we need to excel in. The Greek word means for excel means to keep topping yourself. Just to keep topping yourself. Like, keep growing. Like, never really being content with where you're at in that area of life, but keep Growing, topping where you are. So, for example, faith. He starts with the list with faith. Do you ever get to the point in your life where faith, where your faith is enough and you just realize, you know, I've nailed it. I don't need to trust God anymore. I have arrived at ultimate faith. No, we don't don't ever hit that spot. So he says, you've got to keep topping yourself in faith. You've got to keep growing. And what that means for us practically is, we come to the edge and we think, man, I could never do that. I could never step out in that way for God. I could never trust Him to that extent. And we do. And we're like, wow. I can't believe it. Wow. And then, now this area seems safe for a while. Over time, this seems really safe. God wants us to never hit that point where we just stay there. But now He takes us to another point, another edge. And then another edge. He keeps pushing our faith to the next level of risk. This is what He's after. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We cannot please Him Long term, if we take faith out of the equation, we've got to keep growing in it. But he says you've got to keep topping yourself in faith and then speech. Do you ever have a week where you feel like, man, I nailed it this week with my words. I just, man, I didn't say anything wrong. I didn't say anything hurtful. I didn't chew anyone out, cuss anyone out. I wasn't arrogant. I didn't lie. I wasn't slightly deceitful. I, I just nailed it with my words. No, he's saying keep topping yourself just you need to excel in the area of speech. Got to keep growing in the area of speech, just not an area we can ever let go of in knowledge. You know, I know we all want to think. I've I've learned everything there is to learn. I'm done. I'm hanging up the books. Sometimes I want to do this. And we all want to do this, don't we? But he says, no, you've got to keep growing. You've got to keep learning. What about effort? Earnestness? He's saying, no, you gotta keep putting in the effort. What about love? Love again. The truth is love. It's hard, right? Love takes continual effort if we're going to love each other. Loving each other, it just takes work. And so he says, now you've got all this list of things you need to grow in. Now I want you to add to that list giving. Keep growing in the grace of giving. Keep topping yourself in giving. We need to keep growing in the area of generosity. I've been talking about the 10-10-80 principle. A lot of people use that figure. Giving a tenth, saving a tenth, and living off of what's left over, which is 80 not 116% total but if you had 100% you're working with you know living off of the 80 and then figuring out how to make this work with the 80%. But 10% is the threshold of giving that's the area the point in which it challenges that's that's a significant step of giving to give a tenth what's called a tithe. But that's a significant step because it challenges our lifestyle to so the point where we actually have to keep our lifestyle and our spending where it needs to be. Here's the border I will go no further. And giving and savings, if done aggressively, will challenge those other areas. A few years ago, the Lord challenged us about this area of growing and the grace of giving and not seeing this threshold of a tenth as where I need to be forever. But out of faith to stretch in the area of giving as a family, to give beyond the tithe. What that does is it breaks it breaks greed in our lives. It breaks the pull of desire for more on our lives. And there's many people in our church who, you know, they've desired to go past that area so that they can continue to challenge and keep their lifestyle in order and keep giving more in order to, you know, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, not when more comes in, the more I get to enjoy. But the, the truth is, when more comes in, the more we're able to be generous, even more generous. If we don't grow in the area of giving... And like I said, lifestyle, no matter what we say, becomes our number one priority. Over time, the more we get greed, if it, if it finds our way, it takes residence in our heart, it can just live in our heart undetected for years. Then whenever money comes in, greed already has a claim on that money. So this is why the area of giving is an area we have to keep growing in. God himself is a giver. And he, he, he has given us life. He's given us relationships. If you study, just you look at all the things God has given us. He's created, you know, He's given us enjoyment. He's given us talents and skills and abilities and resources. He's given us His Son to redeem us. And He says, I want you to be givers. When we're givers, we act like God. We're most like God when we're when we're generous, when we're givers. Here's some extra disadvantages. Clearly, there's some advantages... On the other side, there's some clear scriptural disadvantages and some warnings about having extra. first one is extra arrogance. Anytime more comes in, we begin to think, man, I've really arrived. I put this together. And this has to be fought against, doesn't it? I see some head shaking because, you know, there's been seasons where God has poured something in your life and you've had to fight the urge to believe you're the man. Look at this verse, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Why would he start with that? Why would he put that as the first thing? Don't be arrogant. Because that's the first struggle. Anytime more comes in, the first struggle is arrogance. He says, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says again, you can enjoy he, God provides riches, abundance, for your own enjoyment. Here's the enjoyment thing again. It's okay to enjoy it, but it comes and is preceded by one of the biggest tag-alongs to money. Arrogance. Tags-along money is arrogance. When you make money, it's this powerful boost to your ego. It just goes to our head. God's people were moving from slavery to like wealth. And God, through Moses, He warned them about their view of themselves and how when you get an abundance... you're you're going to possibly get a skewed view of yourself. Look at what he said in Deuteronomy. God said this through Moses to the people. When you've eaten and are satisfied... Now, they're coming from slavery. He's talking about the good life that's to come and some things they're going to enjoy and experience. He warns them, though. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. Again, enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy. Praise Him for the abundance. But be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God failing to observe His commands... His laws and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat, if you, don't, if you forget about who provided it, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then, look what he says, your heart will become proud. Literally, your heart will become tall. Or exalted. We get puffed up when abundance comes in. And he says, and you will forget the Lord your God the one who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you might say this to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced all this wealth for me. I'm the man. He's saying, this is what you'll be tempted to say. But remember, the Lord your God, remember Him, because for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He's saying, don't allow your newfound prosperity to conceal your dependence and your need for him. Don't get arrogant. If you do, what happens in pride? We've, we've talked a lot about how you know, we exalt ourselves in pride, and, and God opposes the proud. He opposes it when we get proud. So we have to watch this area. Whenever extra comes in, just don't lose your head. Remember how this happened it was God who provided the ability to produce wealth. It was God who gave you the mind that you've got. He gave you the opportunities you've got. He provided the the gifts that He's given you to be able to, to turn stuff into resources. In fact, He's the one that has given you every single breath. It all comes from Him. But money has this way of causing us to just forget. It elevates us. That's why Jesus makes this comment about handling riches in Mark 10. It's a funny verse. It says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The eye of a needle is not a sewing needle. Okay? Not like Jesus like, you see the sewing needle? And everyone's like, oh, yes, I know the sewing needle. They don't, that's not the imagery they were having. Camels were the major mode of transportation in those days. Okay? And in those days, sometimes a caravan would come through a part of town, and they would come through a really low spot in order to enter a city. A low spot between rocks. Or the low door at the city wall, and the camel would have to. That was known as the eye of the needle. For the camel to get through that low spot is like a camel going through the eye of a needle, going through this really low entrance to the city, and that's really difficult to do. Have you ever seen a camel sit down? Some of you shaking your heads. Go Google or YouTube, camel sit down. It looks like the camel's gonna bust something. Like they're sitting there, and they're just like, start shaking, and then, and you're like, It looks like this thing's going to bust off. And, you know, it looks awkward. And what Jesus is saying is, have you ever seen a camel get down on all fours on his knees? It can be done, but it's going to take a lot of effort. It, It almost looks like, you know, he says, you've all seen this. You know what this looks like. He says, in the same way, it's harder for a person with more than enough, with an abundance, to find me and to follow me. He says, for those who are rich, he says, it's harder for them. It's, it's awfully difficult. This is the point he's trying to make. So if you have extra money, what we ought to do is put in the extra effort to humble yourself. To balance that out. It's going to be hard for you, if you have extra, to not fall in love with your riches and focus on it as your master. You're going to have a hard time finding and following Christ. And so, because of that, it just requires an extra amount of humility Bowing down before the Lord, just saying, God, this is all yours. You provided, you created all these resources in my life. One way to do that, if you have an abundance, is to serve. You might have an abundance and you might be used to just being served constantly. People serving you in your organization. One way to balance things out is just to serve. Serving in a church is a way to, you know, kind of take an effort to humble yourself before the Lord. You know, you can pitch in, help out, help those in need. Help those in need in our church. Help out with the needs of our church. Again, that humbles us in a way. That deals with the arrogance. One final disadvantage of having extra is it just, it's extra hassle. Some of you are like, bring on the hassle. I'm okay. I'll deal with the hassle. But the truth is, there's some funny verses about the hassle of extra money. This is one of them, I think. Proverbs 14, 4 says, Where there are no oxen, The manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. It's a strange verse, isn't it? He's like saying, if you want a clean barn, nice, tidy barn, don't get an ox. Because it'll make a mess. But if you want an abundant harvest, if you want a big harvest, then you're going to need the strength of an ox to plow the fields, to bring in the harvest. It's your choice. You can have a clean barn or you can have... An abundant, big, giant harvest. You can't have both. Modern translation of this might read if you want more money, then you're going to have to put up with more poop. Uh, because think about what he's saying here the oxen's going to make big messes everywhere. You're going to be cleaning up after the ox. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be nice and tidy. This is going to create a lot of extra hassle. Those who want to be rich tend to only see the enjoyment side. Of the abundance. Man, I can't wait. I'd, I'd love to have the extra so that I can enjoy all these things. They don't tend to consider all the hassles that come with having an abundance. For me to manage my giant portfolio of one checking account and one savings account, it's pretty simple. But for others who have multiple, this giant portfolio of all this stuff, businesses, all these accounts, managing all these investments, it's, it's a lot. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you lose sleep over this stuff because there's money you've invested in things. And it's an extra hassle. And you're okay with it, but you understand. With the extra, I've just got a lot more to consider. I've got a lot more decisions to make. And the truth is, God has, He's asking you to steward that money. You're accountable for more. Whenever you have more, He's holding you accountable for more now. There was, a, I think I've told this story, but John Wesley, he was the 18th century British preacher and theologian. His works laid out the foundation for a movement, the Methodist movement. And there's a story that one day this distraught man furiously rides up to Mr. Wesley and says, hey, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house just burnt down to the ground. And he weighed out the news for a moment and then he turned and he looked at the guy and said, no, the Lord's house burnt to the ground. That just means one less responsibility for me. And he had this interesting perspective on... His understanding of who owned it all and where he fit in that scheme of things. God owns it all. I'm a steward of all that he's entrusted to me. I guess this is one less thing I have to hassle about right now. One less responsibility I have to manage. The Lord's house burned down. It just gives us a different perspective when we understand this. If we're not careful, the abundance can really skew our, our life. It can skew our ability to enjoy things in life. Look at Proverbs thirteen eight. One final verse says, "A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat." Again, part of the extra hassle is just extra risk. If you have some extra there, extra money, there are always people trying to take it away from you, either by force or by trickery. And it's nice to have the money to deal with those threats, but it's also nice to not have any threats. <laughs> it's nice to not have people trying to take. So you have to decide. With more, there comes more to maintain, more to protect, more to ensure, more to decide. And so I think the one thing God wants us to keep in mind is pick your problem. Pick your problem. Because at every, whatever stage you're at, it's not trouble-free. So go ahead and take out that connection card and let's look at these next steps. The first one, it says, determine your next generosity step. Basically, the idea here is what is it, God, you want me to grow in? We looked at that verse where it says, grow in the grace of giving, excel in that grace of giving. God is likely going to push you at some point in your life, especially if you've yielded to Christ, to become more generous. And to consider, what is that? Is that giving in church? Is it giving and putting money in my budget to be more generous to needs that come up? What is it, God, you're trying to say to me in this area? And don't think, well, I'm not rich, so I don't need to worry about this. But... It really is for all of us. God wants to grow us in the area of generosity. There was a widow who was very, very generous, and Jesus highlighted her story about her generosity. She had very little to give. Or consider your lifestyle cap is another one. What is the cap on my life? Decide in advance. What is the limit for my life? What is my lifestyle going to consist of? What do I really need? You need to decide that now, because if God grants you more, you can't just keep lifting the ceiling on. Here's what my cap is. Like, if you set a limit, then all sorts of possibilities for savings and giving and blessing people, children, other you know, organizations, it just opens up if you'll set a lifestyle cap. The last one is pray for those with extra. If you know someone who's in a position where they just have an abundance, pray for them. Take some time. Don't get envious. Don't get jealous. Don't make comments. But pray for those who have extra. Pray that they would use those resources wisely and that they would be pace setters in generosity in this area. Some of you have the ability to, to really create resources with your with your work. Some of you have tremendous ability. You know, may you do that in a way that really honors the Lord. May you handle the resources in a way that truly honors God. And it's reflected upon it's reflected by the priorities you set or that He sets and that you decide to to go with. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together Lord, I pray that we'd all think through this whole idea of having more than enough. And even, God, if right now that's not a reality, God, I pray, Lord, that we would understand these issues so that if if it ever becomes a reality for us, Lord, that we would know how to handle the extra. Lord, I pray that maybe, maybe you've convicted some here today about this area. That you've just greatly provided and and God maybe some have feel like they just have not focused their resources in the right way. Lord, I pray you'd you'd convict and at the same time, Lord, you'd just show your grace, your mercy, your love. And that you'd you'd nudge in the right direction, Lord. Lord, I pray that our hearts would just be responsive to you. And whatever you're saying to us this morning, God, if you're nudging us towards setting a cap or praying for others or or just taking a step of generosity at our level at our place right now God I pray that you, you just continue to challenge us Lord help us to become more generous Lord just as you are such a giver Lord we love you and thank you in Jesus name Amen